boom, Vicious Cycle is celebrating its 100th episode with a live show about the gutting of Roe v. Wade. That's right. There's going to be songs. There's going to be games. We're going to scream into a void and we're going to maybe feel better about it. Probably not. (laughs) So, listeners, before you continue to listen to this episode, make sure you buy a ticket, babes, because we want to see you there. And if you don't live in San Francisco... Call your cousin that does or that coworker that moved here. That influencer you like, DM them. That high school friend, how you don't know how they have that much money. Give them a call. Call them up and say, hey, go to ViciousCyclePodcast.com or their Instagram, which is at ViciousCyclePodcast to find out how you can get tickets, which by the way, all proceeds go to supporting pro-abortion organizations. Show up, get a ticket, have some fun. Keep calm. Fuck! This! Now here's our show. You know you're listening to Vicious Cycle, the <laughs> comedy. Hi! <laughs> oh my God, hi! You guys, I'm trying to bring energy into our podcast. <laughs> I'm a professional. I feel like you're leaving a message. Uh, hi, hi, it's Meg. Sorry to bother you. Just reminding you, you're listening to Vicious Cycle, the comedy podcast about periods. Give me a call back. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm your co-host, my case. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost all sense of self. <laughs> strike. I'm living with a strike oh all the time. Oh my this God. Is my so life. dare you do that to me on the day I worked out. My abs are already hurting. <laughs> and I'm like seizing so with laughter. So for any new listeners, oh that shit. famously was not Meg Hayes. That was indeed Meg oh Trowbridge. But it's hard. Megs are hard. It's, we, we confuse each other a lot. <laughs> You said Let it me. with so much certainty yeah, that really I believed you for a second. <laughs> I really did. Is um, that me? I mean, t- <laughs> is that a mirror? <laughs> Let's take it from the top. Let's, let's keep going. We're including all Meg's of this. Meg still trying to figure out her married name. Right. It's just a I've decade had in. so many names. Okay, so who are you? I'm Meg. <laughs> just, I, I'm not even sure. Don't even want to get it wrong. So just (laughs) forget your last. Oh god! And I'm Kate Winslet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, listen. And I'm Meg Ryan. Happy to be here. Um. If you're a new listener, none of that made sense to you because you're like, I don't know what your names are. (laughs) Maybe Meg Ryan and Kate Winslet do co-host a podcast. And Meg Hayes. And Meg Hayes. (laughs) What a life for me to live. (laughs) (laughs) We're manifesting my future. So in the future, Meg is actually co-hosting the show with other people. Yeah. (laughs) It hurts. It stings a bit. But they all have the same names as you guys. (laughs) It's still two Megs and a Kate. (laughs) Yeah. 
And honestly, I don't know. I mean, I don't with my brain capacity. Who knows what I can handle in the oh near future? God. We'll get you, Meg Ryan. <laughs> oh, well. It's like you both leave the podcast and you're like, but Meg, you have to sign this paper saying it will only oh. ever be hosted by two Mex and a Kate. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. That, yeah. We'll have our lawyers look over it. You know, and then, you know, I interviewed Megan Mullally. It went pretty well, okay. but Meg Ryan came in and knocked it out of the park. Wow. Sure. Wow. Effortlessly adorable. Kate Blanchett famously doesn't like to talk about her period. Yeah. So it sure. Was, and it, her name starts with a C, so. That's true. Couldn't. There you go. <laughs> just that's couldn't. a deal breaker. I didn't even re- read she the She walked rest of her in resume. and you said, get out. <laughs> Fuck out. You came with a C? How dare you? <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. Um, Listeners, we're so glad to have you, obviously. Um, as you know, by the title of the episode, we are here with Dr. Kate. Ugh, love Ugh. her. We Best. adore her. Yeah. Um, and we are so excited to talk to her about her new book. Yes. Uh, it's, I mean, she actually has two new books out. She's N- insane. kind of killing it. Um, but the book we're talking about today is about pregnancy loss and miscarriage. It's called Your Guide to Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss, Hope and Healing. When you're no longer expecting this book, y'all, we all read it. <clears throat> we talked to Dr. Kate. This book is like a mix of like a textbook with like information about pregnancy loss and miscarriage. And it's also like a how to guide slash journal slash Bible slash like meditation like slash. guide. It's amazing. You know, it, it also works as a coaster if you are in need, you know, like, but you should read it first and then use it as, you know, a place to put your phone at night. You know, it's, it's beautiful and it's written with so much love. Yeah. Like it's just a classic Dr. Kate. Cause I typically hate textbooks, but this book is like information plus narrative because mm-hmm. famously Dr. Kate has gone through two, two miscarriages That's of right. her own. She talks about, yeah. Uh, one more like typical within the first 12 weeks mm-hmm. and then another one very atypical. It was like really dramatic week 20 something. It was late and she talked, really she late. actually yeah. talked about that on our podcast. I, uh, episode 77, 78, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, when we, we've had her on a couple of times, but in one of those episodes, the second batch, she talked about yeah. her pregnancy loss, which was really traumatic and yeah, so this book is coming from someone who's not only been through it, but someone who is a doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the book is filled with like um, stories of, you know, anonymized patients of hers who, you know, she uses their experience to kick off these different chapters about different types of pregnancy loss. And it's, it's really informative and it's so useful if you've ever known someone who's gone through a miscarriage, if you're going through one or have gone through one as a gift to someone who's, Going through it, you know, it's it's a very useful book, and we love talking to Dr. Kate about it. Yeah, and I think we get into the stats exactly, but I think it's something like one in three to four women or people will have a miscarriage in their lifetime. Like, they're very common, and I think the thing I've learned is that, like, from, from her interview is that, like, there's no wrong or right way to grieve, and grieving can happen forever. Yeah. Like, it's not something that just goes away. So, um, yeah, we're stoked about this book. Have you ever had that friend that's just like smart, kind, better at things than you? And you're like, I'm right here, Meg. But also, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Dr. Kate is really like our older sister, our cousin, our young, cool aunt. She's our RA. We've talked. She's our house mother. She's our house mother, our RA. That like 
maybe drinks wine coolers with us, but is like, okay, but like, I was never here. You know? Exactly. Yeah. She's that. She's, yeah. she's very, very that. And very we love that. her. And also, we should shout out her other book um, that just dropped. It's called Your Sexual Health, A Guide to Understanding, Loving, and Caring for Your Body. I'm fucking really excited for that yeah. book. Before we get into her interview, though, should we play a phone call? Let's I'd do love a to phone hear a phone call. call. Phone call. Kate, how is that Delco Can I have some water first? That was really good. Speaking of Kate Winslet and her, <laughs> oh her Delco County accent. Delco. Okay, here is a phone call. Hi, this is Emily. I am a big fan. Um, I especially, by the way, love playing period pain Tuesdays on Instagram. It is a small joy for me every week, or like a large joy, joy let's be honest. Um... So I wanted to call in and tell you about how I recently had my IUD out, um, got it taken out so that I can get my eggs frozen so that I can delay the whole decision-making process around having children. Um, I'm very lucky that I'm being given this option. Um, But yeah, I had had my IUD in for, I actually did the math because I have Clue, the period tracker, and it was like, it's been 984 days since your last period. So it was something like two, 2.66 years. I did the math before I called you. Um, and by the time I got my period, um, about a month after my IUD came out, I went to the store because I had not used a tampon or any sort of period collecting item. <laughs> for 2.66 years um and so I went to the store and I went to the Walgreens like you know ladies aisle or sorry like uh people aisle people who get period aisle and I was like holy shit this looks so different like all of Playtex changed all of Tampax changed all of OB changed the boxes changed the people who were depicted on the front of the box changed Apparently, you can only use Playtex now if you're a sports person. I don't know, but I was like, I honestly feel like I went to a different planet for two years and came back, and I'm so um, uninitiated. Uh, and on top of that, I actually, like, put a call out on my Instagram and was like, tell me what's new in periods. And um, now I have all these ideas about trying discs and stuff like that. Um so we'll see how it goes. Um, and basically back to being, you know, 12 years old, bleeding through math class again. Um, thanks for everything you do, you wonderful, wonderful people. And goodbye. <laughs> well, thanks for that. It's- I mean, you've got a lot going on. Very exciting that you're getting those eggs frozen. Uh, and um, also congrats on, I mean, the people who had IUDs and didn't get their period, that sounds like a dream because I basically, with my IUD, spotted the entire time Oof. and definitely still got my period. Yeah, I feel like I've come full circle on this podcast and I'm like, freeze your eggs and get that fucker back in there. I'm like, <laughs> how about another 2.86 years? Like, right. that sounds fucking great. Also, you coming back to period sounds like people oh. that have divorced and they're like what's, what's new, new in dating <laughs> totally and you have to let us know how your egg freezing goes like what's that please process please let like? us know yeah, yeah. could Super. be an interesting future yeah absolutely. absolutely thank you thank love you getting so phone calls yes love it um and for anyone who's out there who's like wait a minute i have a story i have a question i have an embarrassing moment in my life what's the number they should call 
9106 uterus. 9106 uterus. Tell us how you bleed like us at 9106 uterus. 9106 frequently calls the podcast in between uh, seasons yeah because i i don't have an amazing short-term memory so this is like my <laughs> voice memo i'm just like gotta get that call in so i don't forget this <laughs> so we don't remember what this call is about and we will find out no idea i love it hi listeners it's megan from the podcast i'm just getting over a cold and i'm on my period and it's taken quite a while to get over the cold. Today's Saturday. I started symptoms on Sunday. Don't have COVID, luckily. But it's just taken a long time to recover. And I'm wondering if being sick on your period makes it harder for your body to recuperate. And I'm also wondering if there are times during your cycle, your 30-day cycle, where it's like easier or harder for your body to recuperate based on your hormone levels. Like if you have high estrogen, is it easier to fight off colds? Or if you have high progesterone, is it easier to fight off colds? We all know that our uterine lining, our endometrial tissue is connected to our immune system. So I thought I'd ask Dr. Kate, this one's for you. Keep home and bleed everywhere. Bye. I love that we have a question for Dr. Kate, and we're about to have an episode with Dr. I know. Kate. We didn't ask Dr. Kate. Uh, yeah, because that <laughs> question e- came from I guess the I should email her. But a great question. Yeah. It's so true. Like when you're already, when your immunity system, nope, immune system is yeah. hit. Right. Well, and like, are you more prone to getting sick when you're ovulating yeah. or when you're in a luteal phase or less likely? Does estrogen and progesterone play into mm. getting sick or getting better when you're sick. Mm. I want to know the answers. Yeah. Let's get to the Dr. Kate episode. Let's get sure. into it. And please, listeners, trigger warning, I guess, also. Should we yeah. say that? Like, this, I mean, we do deal in some some tricky topics in this episode, but we hope that this brings you comfort. Yes. Yeah. Let's get to it. And yeah. um, we'll see you Dr. on the other Kate. side. Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. This is your third appearance on Vicious Cycle. It is so good to be back. It feels Yay. like being among friends. Oh. Yay. Yay. As we always say, it's like you're our RA, you're our house mother, you're our cool <laughs> older cousin. So we're just so honored to have you back. And you're now a published, I mean, you were probably published before because you're really impressive, but now you have like a book. Book. Can I just tell you, walking into a bookstore at actually finding it there I took a picture of me with the book and I put it down and I started to cry it was just such an amazing feeling because I have published articles and I've published manuscripts for journal for research articles but nothing like this which has been a you know labor of love pun half intended for years now (laughs) so Dr. Kate we are so delighted that you wrote this book and that you shared it with us we got a chance to read it skim through it But tell us just in general, like, how did you come up with this idea to write this book? Was there a need for it? I I feel like I haven't heard about books like this. I wrote the book that I wish I had when I went through my pregnancy losses. 
which might sound really surprising for a, not just a doctor, but an OBGYN to say that I needed a book. But as a doctor, you just get a narrow glimpse of what's happening. You get the medical mm. situation, you get to break news to patients, and then you get to send them home. And you're not really there to see all the aftermath, the in-between while they're maybe waiting to find out if the pregnancy is going to be lost or not, or the wait for a procedure or for medication to work. And most importantly, what happens after it's all over? And I think nothing prepares you for what it's like to not just go through the loss, but then to be grieving it and recovering from it. And it just keeps hitting you again and again and all those months after. And you're so full of questions and guilt mm -hmm. and sadness and anger and all the things that you <laughs> feel when you're grieving. And I really felt like there was a place to pull it all together, not just all the medical knowledge that I had kind of gotten after 20 years in practice, but then all the emotional knowledge that I learned by experience, sadly, and to kind of put it all in one place to be a resource for people who don't get enough time with their doctor or their midwife, or who just don't really have a good relationship with their doctor or midwife mm -hmm. and want a place to go. Yeah, because I feel like this is something like this is something that happens to so many people. I think it's a million a year, right? One every out of four people have had a miscarriage. Um, or is it one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage? One in four to one in three pregnancies ends in okay. loss. Yeah. Wow. And but it's so it, it in a way it sort of feels like it maybe this is just because of the space we're in, like on Instagram and stuff, but it feels like people talk about it a lot. But I get the sense that even with all the, the talking and all the like destigmatizing of it there still is such a gap in, like you said, like how to just like live on your life and how to deal with it. And and even people that maybe talk about it online with their friends and family don't have that with their doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I still think that miscarriage is something that happens to other people. <laughs> you know, especially yeah. if you're in that place of you eat the right things, you exercise, you try to stay healthy, you read the books, you know, you don't take the glass of wine, you're trying to do all the right things, you feel like you should have a healthy pregnancy, like, because that's what you deserve, that's what you're working so hard for. And it's not until you start to either try to get pregnant or get pregnant that you realize how much of this is absolutely outside of our control and that you can do all the right things and it doesn't matter because it wasn't your fault that the pregnancy wasn't healthy and was lost, but it still feels like such a shock that, oh, I, I didn't think it could happen to me or to people that I know. Mm -hmm. And I think for people who love people who are going through a loss, you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do. I think Americans in general are not so good with death and dying and loss. And mm -hmm. so people say all the wrong things all the time. And then also stop talking about it very often sooner than you're ready to stop talking about it because people don't know what to say so it's easier to say nothing but you still feel the loss all the time and so there's this disconnect between the people who love you and want to help you but they don't know what to do either so I cover that too hmm. so what would you say is like your very simple definition of what is it miscarriage so miscarriage is actually not a medical term so there's really no medical definition for miscarriage because it is a socially used term. Mm -hmm. And it most often refers to pregnancies lost from your uterus in the first 12 weeks, in the first trimester. So I called the book Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss because I really wanted to throw the big umbrella 
of mm. everybody who has had a loss in any way, whether it was later in the pregnancy or it wasn't a pregnancy in the uterus or all the other situations. So because there's no medical definition of miscarriage, I say we get to appropriate it for however we want to use it, which yeah. means, right, we can just use it to refer to pregnancy loss in all of its ways. Um, yeah. And when you think about what the word miscarriage means, that like you're a mistake in carrying it, it actually right. sort of deflects the blame back on the pregnant person. Mm. So miscarriage mm. is also a crappy word because as mm. anything else that sort of at, even implicitly puts the blame on the person carrying the pregnancy, it's not good. But it is a word better for worse that's sort of in our culture. Mm. So, you know, I'm okay leaning into it, but then I want to broaden it. And then I want to say it's pregnancy is lost in any way. But I think Can the we- most common way doctors will use it is first trimester. Can we broaden it more to like put the blame on men for things they're doing wrong? So like my husband Man miscarried cares. the dishwasher last night and it, it incorrectly loaded it. <laughs> I will start that petition. Great. You know, it's funny because as I was reading through the book, uh, you know, I got to like kind of retrace my steps and and our first interaction because um, you know with the ectopic pregnancy and just like having so many unanswered questions um, and it just you know not happening with you know a doctor I knew is just in an ER you know um, and I remember the the interview we had with you the first time where we were bless our hearts like we didn't like we researched you a bit but we somehow totally missed this part of your background, which, you know, you had like had an article published in, I think it was Glamour maybe. Um, so we could have known, but didn't. Uh, and I was just kind of, you know, still mad. I was still in the anger part of the grief of the ectopic pregnancy. Um, and you were really kind. And like, like for the first time, I was like, oh, God, I wish I had a doctor like this. And it's, it's just, it's so true that like, you know, f- having your friends to support you is like one thing and then having a resource that like has the knowledge in like a patient and understanding delivery is like I think it'd be really helpful for people yeah I think I love that like you do like these guides and like checklists and kind of like at the end of every chapter it's sort of like a like how you feel and kind of thing and I think it's so important I mean there's so much I want to unpack but like like you said, people don't know what to say. And I love that you have a checklist of like, of I mean, like actually give this to your friends and family. Like, don't tell this, don't say these things to me. Here's what I actually need you to say and need you to do. And I think that could be useful in so many diagnoses and so many things and so many elements of loss or, or, or illness. Um, so I just really appreciate that you, that you did that. Like, here's what I need from you. Because I feel like I've de- I dealt with that with friends and family that have like cancer. It's like I don't know how to I don't know how to talk to them about this. Yeah, I wanted like practical advice that people could mm-hmm. actually take with them. So it's like the list of questions to ask your doctor, to how to unpack all the things that you're hearing, and that letter of the like the letter that you sort of like can write to your friends and family of here's what I don't need, here's what I do need, and here's what I want you to say. Which a lot of it just boils down to saying, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry this happened to you. I'm going to sit here and bear this with you. And I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, whether it's sending you funny memes or bringing you food or walking your dog or 
talking about the pregnancy or not talking about the pregnancy. You know, whatever it is that is going to meet your need in time, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to forget because I think that's what's also powerful. You know, I had a friend send me flowers a month after a loss recently. And she said, other people have probably moved on or think that you have. And I know that you haven't. And I wanted to sort of mark that. And I was like, oh, I wish I had done that in the book. <laughs> so next edition. <laughs> next edition. Um, because it can be hard. And people, I think, and doctors and nurses, are, heaven knows, are not taught this either. And it's one of the right. many ways the system needs to get better is that you're not taught in how to sit in that space where it hurts because you want to fix it. You just want to fix things. You want to do things. You don't want to just be still and just Mm -hmm. be there. So I never get enough time with my patients. So I feel like this book lets me like continue the conversation with my patients that I wish I had time for in the office. And as a consequence, it gets like, everyone gets to be my patient just for a little while. (laughs) How lucky. (laughs) So lucky. We should all be so lucky. (laughs) Um, So I think, Let's talk a little bit about like what the book kind of like scientifically talks about because there are it's a very like it's a textbook of knowledge. Um, And so you talk a lot about like the wide ranges of what can be considered a miscarriage, what is considered a miscarriage for ones that happen within the first few weeks of being pregnant. And often people don't even know they're pregnant, obviously, when they have those those miscarriages and then ones that happen into the second and third trimester, which is what you experienced. So can you just kind of give people just like all of those and especially in the like, I love this idea that like no matter when it happens, your grief is valid and your grief is not worse or better or, you know, not as deep as someone else's. Yeah, There's no Olympics of pain. (laughs) There is no comparing one person's pain to someone else's. And it is absolutely a big misconception misperception about pregnancy (laughs) loss that a six-week loss doesn't hurt as much as a six-month loss. And what people who haven't been through it don't get is that when you lose a pregnancy that you wanted, you are losing all of the hopes and dreams that went with that pregnancy. You know, picturing delivering the baby, the first smile, the first steps, freaking high school graduation, and possibly them getting married, right? Like you're thinking <laughs> yeah. about the whole life, what your Christmas card's going to look like with like the new family or the growing family, what, how your kids may be as siblings, and you lose all of that in an instant with the loss. And so it's not just a six-week pregnancy that you lose. It's an entire vision for your future. And that happens no matter how far along the pregnancy was. And that's why all the grief is valid. And I certainly like to talk about all the other kinds of pregnancy loss that aren't technically considered miscarriage, but they are all a deep loss all the same of a pregnancy that you want. An ectopic, like Meg, like what you went through, molar pregnancies, which are incredibly bizarre. And until you have one, you've never even heard of them. But then other kinds of losses, like when you terminate a pregnancy that you very much wanted because it's threatening your health or mm-hmm. the baby's health, or losing a pregnancy, you didn't know what you felt about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. not everyone is perfectly thrilled when they get pregnant, and it's normal to be ambivalent a bit. And then if you lose that pregnancy, then you have all other kinds of feels about it, about knowing, like, with, did I cause that by not, you know, being really happy about it? Oh, yeah. And so trying to recognize that all of these situations that people find themselves in are all reasons why you may be feeling grief. Now, not everyone does, But if you are, it is okay and normal, and you need to give yourself the space to feel what you're feeling. 
It kind of reminds me um, of the time that my first boyfriend broke up with me and I didn't even really like him. But then when he broke up with me, I was sad for like three and a half months. <laughs> we dated for two weeks and I did not. It was. It, yeah, it was. And but wait Kate, a minute. Hold on. Kate, your pain is valid. Thank you. It still it still lingers. It really does. I was 13. Because when you're not in control, right? Like you want to say when it ends. You want to be the one to decide that he's not the one for you or that yeah. you're not ready for this pregnancy. But when that decision is taken out of your hands, mm-hmm. it's really scary, that loss of power. I, I want everyone who's had pregnancy loss to find themselves in this book. Because I also talk about like, well, I'm kind of doing okay. I mean, my family's more upset than I am. And that's okay too. You know, it's a, you know, everyone feels in a different place about their pregnancy at any given time in life. I mean, I had two losses. One was at 29 weeks of a daughter that I had named where we were really ready to bring her home. Mm-hmm. And I later had a more typical first trimester miscarriage around five or six weeks. And I was really sad because at that point I was starting to feel really broken that my body could not <laughs> hold on to pregnancies. But the loss did hit differently than a baby that I had been able to see on ultrasound and had had named. So mm. every loss can feel kind of like with breakups, right? Not all breakups <laughs> yeah. are the same. Like they're going to yeah. hit differently based on where you are and how much you felt about that person and, and how much hope you're feeling about the future. So true. Yeah, I appreciate that you put in the book how to handle the, the feelings of others. Because I know in you know, certain situations in my life, I've been reticent to like share things with people because I know I'll have to take care of them Mm. and I haven't taken care of me yet. And I, yeah, could you kind of talk through what, what the kind of suggestions are for, for people going through pregnancy loss? Yeah. I just have to identify with that first of how many people I found myself comforting. People coming up to me, in theory, to sort of tell me how sorry they were, but then they start crying. And so I had them. I'm like, it's okay. I'm okay. I'm like, I'm sorry. Did you lose a pregnancy? (laughs) Or did I lose a pregnancy? I'm I'm sorry. What happened here? Um, But but that happened a lot. But again, Mm -hmm. very well-meaning people who cared about me deeply, but who in that moment weren't sort of able to hold their own emotions back to focus on me, but they were just, you know, feeling the pain of it. So... Mm. I would say that like, when you're in the moment, it's kind of hard to extricate yourself. So there's a lot of, you know, patting on the back and then sort of trying to get away. But when you have people who you know are going to do a lot of their processing with you, it is okay to not process with them, to yeah. get friends to sort of run point, to get a family member who's the one who gives updates and sort of keeps yeah. people away. Um, Because we certainly had family members who were having a really hard time with our first pregnancy loss. And whenever we visited, it became about them and their feelings and emotions, which at a time that I was way too raw to be, you know, even for a caregiver, I was way too raw to be able to care for other people. And so my husband had to say, knock it off or we can't come. (laughs) because it's just too much. So empowering you to put up the boundaries to say right now, I actually have to take care of me. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's even little things like you're allowed to tell someone in a text. You're allowed to tell someone in a group email. Like you don't have to do this whole thing where you call every single individual person Mm. or update every, you know what I mean? Like 
Oh my god! You, or you can ask a friend to do it. Like you don't know, you don't owe anyone anything. You owe yourself. It's yeah. your loss, and you're yeah. the one who's going through the grief. You don't have to do a damn thing. I think <laughs> you do it in the way that feels the best to you. I'm a big fan of delegating because mm, when yeah. you have close friends or family who are like, "What can I do?" and there's a lot of instinct, especially for people who are raised as women, to like, "No, no, it's okay." I can handle everything and to not take people up on those offers. And I am here to say, please take people up on those offers because they're actually desperate to help and they want to do mm-hmm. something. And you're either going to get, you know, 15 casseroles, which may be a good thing or, or not, <laughs> Worst or you'll get people to say, you know what, please do this thing for me. That would be great. And so to be able to, you know, Make a friend a captain to say, I need you to call this list of people or I need you to email this list, you know, this list. Here, here's access to my email account. <laughs> you know, go into my friends and family folder and let everyone know or to put up a post on Facebook or whatever it is yeah. that makes you feel better. And to say, and like, let all questions go to them. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. if you have a medically complicated loss that involves either multiple visits to a doctor or hospitalization it is reasonable to say, I don't want everyone constantly texting me for updates. So text yeah. this person instead. So you get to, you give to one person what information you want out there and then they get to handle everybody else. back a little bit and talk about just this like basic notion that I think a lot of people so don't know that miscarriages overwhelmingly are not the fault or pregnancy loss are, is not the fault of the mother of the person carrying the baby um and I you talk about that you know all the things that that don't cause pregnancy loss like <laughs> yeah you know whatever all the, I can't you even picked remember. up something heavy <laughs> right right you 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 cro- a black cat crossed your path like as far <laughs> as we know that's not but I I would love to know like you you have a clinic where you actually counsel people who've gone through pregnancy loss like is that something you feel like you have to deprogram out of people a lot I do because everybody no matter how educated they are they come in and they are thinking you know, most pregnancy losses are in the first trimester of a pregnancy inside the uterus that's sort of like what your typical loss is and probably about 90% of losses and so they are thinking about all the things that have happened in the last two or three months that could have caused this to happen and I have learned this over time that I don't just wait for questions I proactively say and I want you to know that nothing that you did made this happen. And then I run like down the list of like my <laughs> favorites of it wasn't anything that you ate or drank. It wasn't that you lifted something heavy or were stressed or didn't sleep enough or had sex or had a glass of wine or watched a horror movie or anything like this. This is not something that you did. Most pregnancy losses are a chromosomal abnormality, which means that the fate of the pregnancy was written three days after you conceive. Mm. I also I compare. I think so I it's the pa- it's the male partner's fault as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll actually say, a healthy egg and a healthy sperm can get together, and there's just this mistake that happens in the first few days after fertilization. I watch a lot of baking shows during the pandemic, and I compare it to, from baking and cooking. Right, cooking is super forgiving. You can throw a lot of stuff into an omelet or into a casserole and things are going to work out okay. Mm-hmm. Baking is chemistry. Baking is really precise. And if you don't get the measurements of everything right, 
soggy bottom, souffle falls, something is unedible. And that's more what a pregnancy is like. It takes a little bit of a break in a chromosome, a little piece of missing information, a little duplication here, or swapping from one chromosome to another, and that can doom the whole pregnancy really early. So there's nothing that you can do to have that happen. You don't even know it's actually happening because no one knows they're pregnant that early. And it's really important that people know that feeling sad and anger in all those stages is okay, but they are not allowed to feel guilty (laughs) (laughs) because grief is bad enough without layering guilt on top of it. Yeah. Dr. Kate, are you just amazed that the human species has gotten this far? <laughs> just with all the things that with all the things that can go wrong, like that we've I, even I, made it as this far. As you look at three perfect loaves of bread in front of you, I just want to ask. <laughs> I mean, Megan might be a little denser than a normal loaf. <laughs> She's a rye. She's a rye, and we love her for it. <laughs> all obstetricians have that feeling that it yeah. is a minor miracle. When any baby is born alive and well. <laughs> yeah. Truly. Your, each chapter, you kind of open up um, about like a specific patient's experience. Um, and and so I'm just curious about that process. Like, uh, was it kind of generalized based on all of your experience? Or were there like, you know, people you kind of interviewed and retraced those steps with to include? I was just kind of curious about that. Yeah. So all the patient stories are based on true patients. All of them are women. All the names are changed. All the identifying details are changed. Um, But all of them come out of real experiences that people have had and things that they have said to me when they've been diagnosed or been going through a loss. Um, These stories that women go through and the stories they tell are really powerful and they stay with you. Um, It's one of the things that can be really powerful when doctors act as advocates for patients is like data and statistics are one thing, right? You know, one in three to one in four pregnancies ends in a loss and, you know, and 60% of it's because of chromosomal reasons. But then when you can tell the story of what a person's experience is like, it just brings it home in a way that numbers don't. And what I wanted were more places where readers could be identifying with other people who have gone through this. I'm such a big believer in support groups and communities, that there's such a community of people out there who have been through this experience, who really will understand what you're going through. Everyone's lost journey is different. No one like walks the same exact road, but other people who have had loss like yours really do understand the, you won't believe what this person said to me or what made me break down really unexpectedly. Like people are really prepared for certain triggers, but then other things really catch you off guard and other people have had similar experiences and they really know. And so seeing people's stories in the book, I hope make you realize that, oh, like other people really have gone through things like I've gone through. I th- it's it felt so effective because it it's like how you started off and in each chapter you learn so much like you learn medical terms and you learn you know like what certain things mean in the process of loss and treatments and stuff so it's like really educational but every chapter you start with like a human and it just like really helps ground you know like that this this happens to people and that the point of this book is to normalize it and support those people so it's just yeah, I like to have a lot of medicine to English translation, is what I call yeah. it at the start of my chapters, because doctors use a lot of jargon and a lot of lingo that people don't understand that make you like run for, you know, 
what should be Google Translate? Really, on Google yeah. Translate, there should be the language medicine, medicine. as you're trying to translate <laughs> yeah. that into English. Um, yes. And so you need to understand what all the words are. Um, but it's really easy to get lost behind the buffer of science. Certainly doctors do that a lot. They'll get lost in the medical talking, especially around things like ectopics, because it's so easy to get wrapped up in the fact that it's a medical crisis, mm. which protects you from having to deal with the messy emotions. Mm. And so I did want to start off by reminding, it's like, this is, it's people who are experiencing this and we never want to forget that. Do you hope that doctors read your book too? Or are there other efforts to like get doctors more kind of holistically charged? <laughs> I do hope doctors read it. I especially hope doctors in training read it. Yeah. Medical students, uh, residents, nurse practitioner students, anyone who's taking care of people who are pregnant and learners tend to soak up more information. They're used to reading, they're used to learning um, as opposed to people who are a little bit set in their ways. And so that's who I'm really also hoping like, to help um, because I give a lot of language about how I talk to patients. And sometimes when you're learning something new, having a script is really handy, right? Mm -hmm. Until you figure out the words you wanna say yourself, like being on book is really helpful. And I think that even health professionals could get something out of this. I don't know if it will ever be a part of official curricula. Medical school doesn't do a fabulous job about women's sexual and reproductive health in general, but I am hoping that by getting the word out about this, that people who want to take care of these patients can see this as a resource for themselves too. Um, we love talking about things about the uterus that show up in pop culture, whether it's periods or pregnancies. Um, you mentioned this briefly in the book, this idea of like miscarriages being TV shows and movies getting miscarriages wrong. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to know if there's a show or a movie that got it right that you've seen. And then what is like the worst portrayal of a pregnancy loss that you've seen on screen? I would say that I really liked Christina Yang's ectopic on Grey's Anatomy, um, mm. especially because it was so typical of, I'm not going to go get care. Like I'm mm. in pain, but I'm going to power through it because I think a lot yeah. of people do mm. until it drops her, <laughs> like until it almost kills her. Um, I think that that's a, a very standard story. Like I see women in the emergency room all the time who ignored symptoms that they had mm. until the pregnancy almost killed them. So I thought that was a pretty powerful portrayal. I've got better lists of how abortion is portrayed really mm, well sure. or really badly. And I would love to know that. Yeah. Yes. And childbirth is always portrayed badly. Childbirth is always, ooh, I broke my water and I'm pushing out a baby two hours later. And like, right. it's just, I'm not saying it never happens that fast, but like, it is incredibly rare. More likely, right. nothing happens. Go to the hospital, sit longer, need Pitocin. You know, that's yeah. more the, the standard. And right. the and the pushing is not two pushes, Kate, as you know. Um, yeah. it's, you know. It, it was for my dear best friend, Brie, who pushed, I think, three times. And of the course, she'd out. have a TV labor. Like, exactly. that adds up. Though. She did. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what also, abortion like, is portrayed? Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Go ahead, Meg. Well, just the, I think there's a huge misconception at like early pregnancy stage where in TV and movie, you see this romantic, like just the little belly and they use the little uh, like abdominal ultrasound and it looks so cute. And then when it's the first time, they're like, nah, we're going to stick this up your hoo-ha. Uh, we're going to see if we can baby. find anything. 
<laughs> like, oh, it was so much cuter on TV. <laughs> when Rachel like and Ross, it was so much cuter. <laughs> you look like you're working a wrench. <laughs> Is that not how everyone else experiences transvaginal ultrasounds? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen a transvaginal ultrasound on television or a movie. I got to say, it, like, it's always phenomenal. Yeah. Because it's cute. <laughs> well, and they're like, nothing can enter a vagina on television. <laughs> right. Even of if course. it's a wand. <laughs> Also, like, I really want to see a show in the style of 24, except it's 24 hours of labor. And, like, like, life is going on. People are getting a full night's sleep. And you're just in the hospital being like, I'm still at two centimeters. What the hell is happening? I think there'd be something to be said about demystifying, right? About, like, look, this is and not just that this is what can happen to you, but that this is normal, right? I think people so often feel like a failure that they did it wrong when their story doesn't look like the stories that they think they're supposed to have, right? Yeah. And they don't realize the the complete vast way that this can happen. Like, I feel this about labia sizes, right? People feel like yeah. there's like one way that your body's supposed to look and that's totally not true. And we know all the, you know, idiosyncrasies a uterus can have and all the ways that that can be normal and how you get pregnant there are all kinds of ways and all kinds of ways to have a baby like and that you know garden variety is never shown it's always like one lane one way all the time and i think people really take that in and use it as one more club to beat themselves with you know Mm. yeah I want to know what abortions in TV and movies you think have been done well and also terrible. I'll tell you my favorites was Olivia Pope's on Scandal because it was, I need to do this. I'm going to go do it and I'm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And that is how a lot of people approach their abortion. I'm not saying that there aren't people who are really sad, who say it's the hardest decision they've ever made. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, they know that it is the right decision and they get it done, and the biggest thing they feel after is relief. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they don't take it seriously. It just mm-hmm. means that it didn't ruin their lives, and that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's why I liked how they did Olivia's, and I'm, I'm sure that women wrote that episode. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the Shondaverse shout-outs in this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't mean we to. We are a pro-Shonda podcast (laughs) (laughs) is there an example of a show that did it like horrifically I mean I know well we talked about this on our um, emergency contraception episode that there was an episode of Black Mirror that was directed by Jodie Foster so I don't know why she Mm -hmm. didn't clock this but a dude wrote the the script um that a, for whatever reason, a, a, a young teen, her mom finds out that she's had unprotected sex, so she puts a chop or she puts a emergency contraception in her smoothie, morning smoothie. She gets sick at school, and the nurse says something to the effect of like, "Your pregnancy's over. You had an abortion pill or something." But it wasn't an abortion pill; it was an emergency contraception. Um, she, but she, the way she words it, is everything like, it about was, it is wrong. It was an <laughs> EC it. pill, so your pregnancy is terminated or something like that. And it's like, no, it's not even how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look up exactly what it was. The fact that emergency contraception and medication abortion <clears throat> continue to be conflated by people and reporters drives me insane. 
These are two completely different things. I think both of them should be, you know, incredibly easy to access and should be options for everyone. And both of them are incredibly low risk, but they are different things. So this is, this is, this is that dialogue. Uh, The nurse says to her, honey, it was the EC pill that made you sick. And the girl goes, EC? And the nurse says, emergency contraception for terminating your pregnancy. You're not pregnant anymore. And people flipped out at this. Like the Twitterverse went mad. They're like, this is not what that is. This is dangerous. This is what makes people legislate against Plan B. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway. People think it's like Tylenol and a leave, but it's like Tylenol and like... Abortion. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They're not the same thing. And like melatonin or like something. (laughs) Yeah. No. Um, What else? What else? I had one one miscarriage in film. (laughs) Miscarriage in film and television. but and I don't know if it's good or bad, but I, it has stuck with me ever since I saw it uh, as a kid. I used to see movies way too young. Um, oh, yeah. It was the Howard Stern movie. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> How old are you, Meg? How old when it you? came out, whenever it came out, Googling. the age I was that year. Howard uh, Stern. And I can't remember movie. what it was called. Body parts? Dirty parts? Private parts. Am I- Private yes. parts. Yes. Wow, Dr. Kate, you must have seen this movie too. I am old and I am from New Jersey. So I have oh, seen well, this movie. <laughs> so Meg, this came out in 1997. So you were 12? 12, 11, okay. 12. Okay, that's uh, not appropriate. <laughs> so, but I I distinct, there's a lot of scenes I distinctly remember. It was a very interesting movie. <laughs> but there is a scene where his wife has a miscarriage and like he finds her in the bathroom and she's crying and she explains she had a miscarriage and then she like leads him to the toilet where then they are looking at the miscarriage and like referring to it. And as a kid, I'm like, so it all just comes out at once. Does the audience, do you see it as the audience? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. No. And they like, is it played for laughs? No, it's a really tender oh. moment. Oh. And then he oh. gets in trouble because he makes light of it like later on his show and his wife's like, what the hell? But anywho, I was like, I don't know, not like, I don't know if anyone's ever experienced anything like that, you know, but it's, I just really, as a kid, it stuck with me. <laughs> Dr. Kate is shaking her head. <laughs> well, we have to do so much work to get people to understand the truth for things and then when dramatic license is taken, it just sets the movement back. <laughs> you know, that's so you're true. saying that doesn't happen. You don't see your you miscarriage just... in one fell swoop unless it's, I would assume, super far along. And then at that point, you're probably in the hospital. Yeah, I mean, people have like all of a sudden gone into labor, like in the second trimester and passed the pregnancy. But again, it's a relatively uncommon. So it's not that it never happens. Right. But when you see it portrayed like that, it seems like it's typical. But that's right. what it's like for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Howard. 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 <laughs> and I think the issue around abortion portrayal is often that everything is an agonizing decision mm-hmm. and that it's often life-threatening to get one. So think yeah. Penny and Dirty Dancing. Now, I know that this is supposed to be historical and that there were unsafe abortions back then. Mm-hmm. But again, that that's the only abortion that was in a movie for 15 years. That's what you think of. Right. About you know the infection and threatens your fertility and you know and you can't dance and it's just awful. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> and worst of all, the dance. <laughs> okay, so 
Okay, so Dr. Kate, if Shonda Rhimes were to call you up tomorrow and say, <gasps> Dr. Kate, As I'm a writing consultant. a scene. I need a oh, consultant that's... on this scene about a miscarriage. It's going to be in you... How to Get Away with Murder because that's the only one we haven't referenced yet. Go on. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> how, would you, how would you counsel Queen Shonda Rhimes on how to write a scene about or an episode about a, mis- a pregnancy loss or miscarriage? Yeah, I would say that it can happen to a completely healthy, happy person that the miscarriage is not linked in any way to implications about the character's morality right? Mm. It's not a sign of what kind of person this is. So this should happen to the happiest, thinnest, most Mm well-adjusted person in the show that it happens to. And that it often doesn't just happen. It's that you get a diagnosis. You have a little cramping, a little spotting, you go in for a scan, and then you find out. And so then there's this period of the struggle with it before the miscarriage actually happens. Mm. And the miscarriage right. can last for weeks. And that doesn't go with a TV episode for sure, but like the idea is that it's not this boom, I bleed, I go to the bath and the baby's gone. It's not, it's not that fast. Mm-hmm. So I would love to show it lasting like the whole episode. Or a couple yeah. seasons, maybe a couple of episodes, like an arc, a season arc. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. I love this. I love this. And Shonda would love this. Shonda, Shonda would love this. Shonda. Your husband writes a really amazing letter to your daughter, Samantha, in the book, and it made me cry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how he's doing and what what people should expect from their partners that aren't the ones that actually physically lose the pregnancy? Like, what what can we expect from them or of them? You know, I am not one who often says, but what about the men? Okay, that's not something that I say very frequently. But when it comes to pregnancy loss, what about the partners is really important. Mm. Most of the time they're men. And they get nothing. For as little support as some patients get when they're undergoing pregnancy loss, no attention is given to the partners. No one even Mm -hmm. looks at them. So you have the fact that, you know, yes, the pregnant person's going through the experience. It's their body. They're the one going through the pain and the bleeding and all the things. But when the partner was really excited about the pregnancy too, it is also a loss for them. And not only are they sort of offered no support, no one checks in to see how they're doing, but then especially if you're talking about a male partner in our society, Men are so socialized to be the strong one that they feel like they have to be strong for you and that they can't indulge in their own grief like it's a luxury, Um, but they just have to put their grief aside for you. So that is really unfair for partners. I think partners deserve a moment to grieve as well, which is why I talk about like trying to pull your whole community in because it's not fair for the two of you to try to like shoulder the burden by yourselves. You want to bring other people in who can support you, who are grieving just a little less than you are. And also different people grieve differently, right? Like I am a talk, I know this is shocking to you. I'm a talker. <laughs> I like to talk it all out. You are our house mother. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, but my husband is not, he doesn't want to talk about it. And that gets really challenging when I want to talk and he doesn't want to. So, of course, my therapist was very helpful, but it was one hour a week. That's not enough. I want to talk every day. Um, and it 
is tough when your partner grieves differently than you do because mm -hmm. they're still feeling the same deep emotions, but they may channel it into work, into exercise, into mm -hmm. all kinds of other things as a way of trying to get an outlet, especially if they're not talkers either. And it can look callous. It can look like mm -hmm. they're forgetting and moving on. And my husband was really frank, especially in the book of like, he didn't want to be in the dark place where I was because he was trying to heal at a different pace than I was because with my first loss, I was dealing with so much guilt in addition to just the sadness. And it was really challenging for the two of us to kind of come to a place where we're like, okay, we're both grieving just differently. All grief is valid and however we're feeling it is okay. And we'll just be honest with each other about what we need including me saying, I need you to listen a bit more and him saying, we just need to put time limits on it because I can't do this all day, every day. And that's, and that's fair. It's, that's, that's what besties are for. You know, I can call them. Mm, yeah. Um, no, no. And so he is, he is fine. I mean, the thing is with my first loss, which is again, incredibly non-typical, it was very dramatic. Um, and my life was in danger. And so his feeling when it was over was that he was just relieved he didn't lose me, but I didn't have to be awake for all mm -hmm. of that. I just woke up with the loss. And so all I felt was loss. He had equal parts loss and relief, which is really different for mm. grieving when part of you is grateful for how it ended. I wasn't grateful for anything. But PTSD around a difficult birth is real. Um, in your research, Dr. Kate, did you come across, like, it just kind of struck me that like, for as long as there has been birth, there have been miscarriages. And I was mm. wondering, and pregnancy loss, and I was wondering if in your research you came across like, how the heck people dealt with this back in the day? Like, I can't imagine, like, it's hard now. I can't imagine what it would have been like when women were even more demonized or, mm. you know, whatever. So I don't know if you had any nuggets of wisdom. I do. Miscarriage used to be viewed very differently. Now, at least we're talking about the United States, right? All cultures are a little bit different. But back then, when people did not have access to birth control on a regular basis, people were pregnant a lot. Like a lot, a lot, right? It wasn't uncommon to have 10 or 15 pregnancies in a lifetime. And mm -hmm. so when you have that many pregnancies, a fair number of them end in a loss, which means that a loss was considered a very natural way for a pregnancy to end. Sometimes mm -hmm. was good. If it was too close to a prior pregnancy, it was kind of a relief when you lost mm -hmm. one because then you didn't have two babies too close together. So people did not invest everything in every pregnancy. They knew it could end in a loss. A loss was super normal. They were also going to have a ton of kids. But these days, mm -hmm. when people are only going to be pregnant a few times on average, and they want to have, let's say, two pregnancies, two children, each pregnancy is so weighted with so much more yeah. importance. Plus, if you're waiting till your late 20s, 30s, late 30s to start having kiddos, then you know that fertility clock is going and you don't know how many chances you get. And so when you lose one, it can feel like the end of the world. Mm -hmm. So I think even though women had much less agency and fewer options and were more likely to die from a miscarriage as they were from childbirth, they didn't take a miscarriage quite as hard often mm -hmm. because it was just part of the natural arc of what can happen. Mm -hmm. So it's actually one of those things that modern society hurts us as opposed to being better. Oh, that's really fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, because I think I've heard or read, you know, that uh, like uh, miscarriages are are like protect like it's it's a not a viable pregnancy, you know, so like it is 
a good thing in the end. It's tragic and it's sad, but like it's it's what your body your body is doing what it's supposed to do for the mm-hmm. most you know in most cases because it wasn't a baby that was going to make it or right. or have a good quality of life or something. Right. The coldest way possible to look at it is the body's quality control. Yeah. And I'll describe it to patients as your body recognized that a healthy baby was not going to grow. And so it stopped the pregnancy from growing because it mm. wants to grow a healthy baby. And once it right. realized that this was not the one, it stopped it so that it gets to try again, you know, yeah. which I feel like hopefully like roots it in in feeling a little bit more normal. Because again, when this mm-hmm. many pregnancies end in a loss, there must be some benefit, right, to there being losses. Yeah. And it's, I think, because we want more healthy people to be born when possible. You know, nothing against the differently abled community, right? It's that this is about when, especially when it's a fatal anomaly that's not compatible right. with life. Kate, you, Kate Elston, you wrote down the 13-week rule. I was interested in that. Go ahead. Yeah, I just like, you know, it, it's something that gets talked a lot about, I think, these days. Like, there's this sort of, old wisdom that you don't tell anyone you're pregnant until the first trimester is over just for this reason, because most miscarriages happen in the first trimester. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were about that. Um, Because I think a lot of people think, well, I want to tell people because I want to have a support system if I do go through a loss. Um, Obviously, I think it's everyone's choice in the end. But what is your what do you advise patients when they ask you, oh, I'm pregnant. That's so exciting. When can I tell people? My thinking has totally evolved on this. I used to say, don't tell anyone yet. Let's go through the first trimester. Let's go through the first trimester screening, all those things. But I realized that's the exact opposite of what I should be telling people. And now what I say is, anyone that you're comfortable telling you had a miscarriage to, tell them you're pregnant. Mm. It can be tough to post it on Facebook to a thousand friends who you may not really even always like know who your friends are with completely on Facebook, right? Like yeah. you say yes to people, you're like, who is that? <laughs> but so maybe not your entire social media universe, mm-hmm. but I would say your effective universe of the people you see and care about and talk and text with, I think you should tell them all because exactly, because then they can be there for you because otherwise you have a loss at 10 weeks. No one even knew you were pregnant Mm -hmm. and they don't know why you're cranky all the time and crying randomly and not going out when everyone like thinks you should be like, then you have to try to explain it. So Mm -hmm. I say if they are truly your people, you know, the ones that you love, the family you're born with and the family you make, then they should be there for the highs and the lows. So I say, Tell them. Yeah. As soon as you know. I think sometimes I think it helps to remind people who like are outside of that, who like might be being told early. Uh, you know, they may say, oh, isn't this early? Like, why not wait? And like 10 weeks, eight weeks, you know, if you're supposed to wait 12 weeks to tell people, like, even though that doesn't sound like a long time, it's it's so long. Like, imagine knowing something exciting for three months and you don't get to tell anybody like like even your closest people, you know, like it's crazy. Yeah. So, so like, I, th- I think people need to remember, like, even though that only sounds like a small amount of time out of nine months or whatever, I'm like, no, it's a lot. It's, it's a long time to sit on something and not have people to lean on. So. Yeah. Totes. Yeah. I found out today that we're getting a dog that, <gasps> that our name finally came up at our breeders list. I haven't told my kids yet because my stepson's coming into town on Saturday and we want to tell them all together. So, <laughs> It's like four days away. 
and I'm dying so hard and, and it's a dog well they, well they do say you're not so you shouldn't tell people about a dog until it's sure. 24 hours before yeah. you proceed I mean, that's just common knowledge doctor that's what we all say um Dr. Kate, we love, love your that. book and we're so glad it exists. Is there anything you else you want to say? Like who who do you actually have a, like who do you hope reads this book? Do you hope people read it before they have gone through a loss? Um yeah. Who do you hope gets their hands on this book? I certainly think that anyone who is either actively going through a loss, because again, as we said, losses can take weeks. Losses mm-hmm. are not always over quickly. And if you need some help right now. The information in the book is not Googleable, right? You can only get it from a doctor or a healthcare provider. And so if you're like searching for information, I think you can find it in this book. Anyone who has gone through a loss, who still has questions, right? Because sometimes you're just, you're in shock, you're numb when it's happening and you don't ask things. Then you're like, oh, it feels like it's too late. I don't want to call my doctor's office and ask these questions and start crying potentially. So Mm -hmm. after the fact, and sometimes way after, My mother had told some of her friends who were also in their 70s about this book. And two of her friends confided in her that they had had miscarriages when she was young, when they were young. My mother never knew this because they never Mm. talked about it. In one case, it led to the breakup of someone's marriage Mm. because the marriage just didn't survive the loss. Mm. And she said, I wish I had had this book Mm. then. And I think some people who might still be grieving even a long time after might find some peace with this. But then it's also for the people who love someone who's grieving, who don't know what to do, who can you get information for them. I always feel like everyone needs a doula in healthcare, mm-hmm. not just for you know, for pregnancy and delivery. Everyone needs a support person going mm-hmm. through it who can ask the questions, who will take the notes, who will you know, buy the pads and the Advil and do the things. And I think that support people can also get a lot out of this to then be able to help the ones they love. Dr. Kate, we are... So excited uh, that your book is out and that it's already helping people and that's going to continue to help people. And of course, we're excited to have you on the podcast for the third time. And we also look forward to the fourth and the fifth. Agreed. Listeners, get this book. Yes. You guys, I'm so grateful because. When talking about periods, inevitably, eventually, conversations turn to pregnancy. We know what happens when the periods stop. Um, And sometimes there's the happy ending and sometimes there's not. And it just feels Mm -hmm. like it is just so part of the whole big old circle that Mm -hmm. we all, a lot lot of people will face. And talking about it, I think this generation is starting to talk about it more on social media and with each other. But historically, people have not wanted to talk about it. It's been so hidden. And so people feel so ashamed and so broken and we need to sort of bring that into the light the same way we do with periods and everything else you guys have covered in your seasons. We need to with loss as well. So thank you for going here because it is like the not the fun, happy episode, but it is just as important as everything else. So thank you. Yeah. I had fun. It wasn't fun, yeah, but I, I had, had last. fun. <laughs> we talked Shonda. We talked breakups. <laughs> Dr. Kate, thank you so much. We love you and come back soon. Thank you, guys. Love you, too. Thank you so much, Dr. Kate, for that lovely interview. And everyone go out and buy that book immediately. We'll put a link in our notes in the episode description. Yeah. We'll put both, both books in there. Both books because she's a prolific author now. Stephen King, watch out. 
Absolutely. Christine, how about sexual health and <laughs> miscarriage? Shining, never heard of it. <laughs> um, hey, I don't know if you two have noticed that uh, the world's kind of bleak these days. Mm. So I just kind of thought about throwing this out there. Um, what's some good news? What's mm. some happy updates we can give? Mm. What, what's something that's making you feel a little bit brighter in this dark, Aww. dark, dark world. I can start. You start. Um, I kind of, I've got two things. If, if I may. Um, so first up, news is dark, feeling pretty <laughs> hopeless. Um, and. Uh, Romantic. Oh, just hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> just flat hopeless. Um, and when that happens, I typically turn to what I think is going to be very easy watching banal uh, videos that will not challenge me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That um, midwife one that you like. Yeah, call the midwife. Cottages. Yeah, You're I, very cottage core. I honestly, mm-hmm. oh my God, and with an E. I see e, that for you. I see if that If you, you are Downton struggling. Abbey, new movie? Oh yeah, maybe I'll watch it. The stakes could not be lower, <laughs> so, which is so right up low. my alley. Yeah. Right down to the basement. It's, right. the, it's the upstairs, downstairs, all downstairs. That's right. Yeah. Stakes are below <laughs> the basement. Subterranean stakes. <laughs> That's our jam. The stakes are holding down the tent of the tea party. <laughs> very low stakes. Um, so, uh, so when I'm at this point, I will watch something like... You know, uh, Parks and Rec, 30 Rock, a, a, a show that makes me feel good. Or I'll just watch something with someone I love. In this case, I recently just watched um, David Letterman's uh, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction, and he interviewed Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I just listened to this, too. I watched it, too, the other oh night. Oh, my God. Ugh. And she's just a beacon. A beacon. Yes. She, we're so lucky to live in the same timeline as her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that really, like, filled my heart, filled my tank, if you will. You said tank. <laughs> filled my And tank. my tank and my taint. Um, we're calling this, okay, we're calling this segment filling my taint. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I love it. I really That's need exactly my taint right. filled. So I really Can I taint. recommend? Um, so she, uh, early on in her career, um, she was in Chicago and she had her own scrap, like her husband, like boyfriend at the time, uh, had like a theater company where they just did comedy together. It was called Practical Something Something. It, Dave couldn't remember the name either, and they made a whole joke about how it's a hard to remember name. Um, but she's, and he kind of tried to get her to talk about how she was the only woman and was it hard and did she feel like oppressed and stuff like that. And she's like, I just, I had fun. It was really fun. I was just playing. The kids were in charge. And, and I just like, Hearing someone talk about that, it's just how I always feel about the people I make art with. Aww. And so just like knowing I was going to be talking to you guys tonight, I was just like, that's how I feel with my girls. Yeah. You know, we are like, I will never think of us as adults because I'm not one yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cross my fingers mm-hmm. one day though. Uh, Hopefully it grows in. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, you know, I just feel like it's cool Aww. that we set our own rules and we do things that we think are important and fun and cool and make us laugh. And I love that. Meg, that really filled my taint. Thank you so much. It really filled my taint. Famously, Vicki Gunvalson from Real Estate of Orange County 
talked a lot about filling her love tank. So now I just want to be like, you filled my love tank. Love tank. Love tank. <laughs> and then I have one little thing. Yes. Um, that just kind of boosted my morale today. Uh, we're filming like a, a doc at my work. And, um, and I talked to this guy, this like interviewee. And uh, off the record, he kind of talked about... Um, off the record, but now it's on this <laughs> record. <laughs> I'm, not giving, I'm not giving his name or anything. It's um, like, as a journalist, let me yeah. describe what that means. Well, we were just like, after recording, we were um, just continuing conversation. And um, he's a white cis guy. And uh, and he, we were just talking about, you know, the, the turmoil, the political hullabaloo. And he was like, I just think it's indicative of the 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 slow fall of patriarchy. And so, and he was just like, I think what we're seeing is these men desperately trying to grip to power. And it's so clear that they're not maintaining it. Mm -hmm. And so he thinks in our lifetime, we're going to see that flip. That so. filled my taint. Yeah. That my taint just got very full. It got tickled right there. That tickled my taint. I was like, say it again, but slower. <laughs> Into this recording device. <laughs> Which is my vibrator. Right there. Get in there. Get in it. That's wonderful. Thank That's you for wonderful. showing nice. Felt nice. Love that. You heard it here, listeners. Um, I love am- insightful conversations with surprising audiences. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll ha- I'll do two. One uh, bouncing off your uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Mm. I've been rewatching Veep. I think I mentioned it in the last episode. Um, it's so good. It's so good. And I think so watching good. it now is, I think maybe in the Obama years when that show was on, it was a little cringy. It was a little like, Ugh. Mm. and now it's like cathartic to yeah. watch people that horrible being yeah. in, co- in government it's like i don't know we saw it we lived life. it and survived yeah. it and it, we're still in it but it, and there, there's something really cathartic about it and sh- i've been watching the bloopers oh. of that show and that is that'll just restore your faith in humanity that'll restore your taint <laughs> man will it ever <laughs> and then little one uh, is about my little one. Oh, she, we love it. Um, she, okay, I can't, uh, this is obviously not a visual medium, but what would you guys call this thing? I'd call it the, it's like, um, the conga line. Oh no, what is it? It's like, um, I'm moving There's my like fume. a nursery rhyme that you, you till it a minute and mark it with the B. I don't know. Seven, oh, Patty B. Baby and me. No, that's patty cake. Yeah, this right? is not patty cake. This is so, listeners. I'm moving my arm, my forearms in a circle really fast. It's sort of like the conga line, like yeah, da, da, yeah. Da, 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 but like really fast, right? Yes, mm-hmm. I call it an arm roll. Arm roll. Arm roll. I have never made anyone laugh so hard <laughs> as to when I arm rolled in front of her as fast as I. Because if you do it really fast, it's really it funny. funny. Um, and I was doing it as fast as I could while she was in the bath, and we. I made her laugh for like 45 minutes. Oh, like it was amazing. amazing. And I will be chasing that high for the rest of my life. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I just wish, I wish this podcast had a visual. I could just show, I could just do it and get you all to laugh. You well, know, if I figure out Twitch, <laughs> you guys will see the first thing you will see is that arm yeah. roll. You know what we can, you know what? I think we should film it and put it on Patreon. Oh, there we go. 30 Done. second bid. So you Done. can see exactly what Kate's talking about. Oh, you have to pay $2 TV. a month. Right. Yeah, but it's that. worth it. Was your taint just filled? My taint is bursting. <laughs> <laughs> 
Meg I think is, this is a new distraught. This I love it. I very much love it. So I've read my labias while I cried and fill my taint. Fill my love taint. <laughs> love taint, baby. Love taint, baby. Baby, love taint. I got me a love taint. It's as big as a whale. It's about to set sail. Everybody's moving. Everybody's grooving. Love taint. Love taint. Folks lining up inside for the love taint. All right, guys. It is late. We got to get to Meg's love taint. This is so uncomfortable because it's like my students. Um, Great. Because we're like your students? No, because my... Because your students <laughs> filled your love tape? I didn't... For the legal record, court stenographer, I, Megan Hayes, the real Megan Hayes, did not say that. Someone came in pretending to be me and said insane things like school children and love taint as the person who introduced herself as <laughs> megan hayes may i also say <laughs> i did <laughs> bring up love taint and students i fully take responsibility for <laughs> um i think just like in these times being around children is very um reinvigorating Mm. it brings you joy it brings you purpose it reminds you of like right we owe we owe them right like Mm. we need to show up because we owe them Mm -hmm. because they're just kids they didn't ask to be born (laughs) yeah Yeah. who would in these these times um they don't get the opt-in checkbox yeah so just like little things like seeing the kids running around and playing in the garden or seeing them play outside or like seeing them practice for graduation is really sweet and hearing kids say things like miss hayes i'm really gonna miss you and if you were ever to leave i'd be really sad because i love you and i'm like i love you guys too or they're like what i'm not gonna be coming to your class anymore i'm like yeah it's the end of the year you know we're wrapping stuff up like them enjoying coming to my class is Mm. 90% 90% of like, oh. hey man, at least I got that, Aww, you know? So yeah. Um, so that makes me happy. And the kids are just like so sweet and fucking hysterical. Mm-hmm. You know, one said I look like a cabbage patch doll this week. <laughs> you know, fuck him, but also he's hilarious. <laughs> but also cabbage patch dolls are famously babies. So he is calling you youthful. He is calling me youthful. And yeah. then he went on this weird tirade where he was like, that looks like you because that baby has dyed hair and I know you paint your hair. Oh. And I was like, I'm not trying to, first of all, paint. where's the attitude? How Second dare. of all, I'm not trying to hide the fact that this is not my real hair color. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, you're not an investigative reporter blowing, <laughs> blowing wide open a story. It was so freaking funny. Oh, so amazing. I mean, hysterical. that's like subtracting from the love taint for sure. Sure. Yeah. But also like adding it back because sure. we're all comedy people and I'm yeah. like, that is hilarious. You're getting roasted. It's, you're roasting the shit out of me. Yeah. yeah. It's hard for me to like be a teacher in those circumstances. Yeah. I'm like, good one. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> when kids are like poop, fart, poopity, poop. And then everyone dies it. laughing. I'm like, <laughs> no, you're out. Kids, kids, fill my heart. Okay. (laughs) Um, Anything else we want to say before we sign in? Wrap it. 
Um, come to our live show, everybody. Come to oh, our live hey. show. If you're in the Bay Area or if you're not, like we said, we, you know, uh, deserve a visit. Yeah. <laughs> in person. It's a great time to come to the We've Bay. We've been waiting since 2018. Where are you? Yeah. yeah. Um, we have the the couch rolled out to a bed. Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, can't guarantee that. <laughs> no, but uh, we're so excited for our 100th episode. This is episode 90. 90. Eight? Eight? Seven. Seven. 97. 97. We're so close. We're oh so God. close to the live show. Oh, my show. God. It's I just got butterflies. Uh, <sighs> and we love you, and thanks for listening. And next week, we're going to have a whole episode on some new bleed surge that Meg Tro is leading the charge on. Get ready for it. Um, love it. It is topical, and it, it it's come across my feed and my socials and my news so much, but I, I, I'm refusing to read it because I know it's your topic. Yeah. And, and my topic is period apps. Period apps. Period tracking apps. I think we've all been sent this information. Yeah. Or tagged yeah. or absolutely alert, yeah. alerted to it. Where Vicious Cycles uh, Instagram DMs are flooded with, did you see this? Did you see this? Yeah. So and we're getting into it. Not so surprisingly, we saw it a year or more ago. <laughs> like we yeah. know that this has been going on yes. here and there. It's just becoming it's real. more relevant. Yeah. It's real. Um... In the meantime, please call our hotline. Follow us on Instagram. Become um, a patron. Become a patreon. Mm-hmm. Is I think what we've landed on now. Patreon. Um, love all. Buy of merch. Everything. All that info is on our Instagram. Yeah. And in the meantime, keep calm and, and fill, fill your, your love taint. Our theme song was written by Meg Trowbridge and performed by The Go Ahead. Find them at thegoaheadmusic.com. And our Vicious Psycho logo was created by Katie Newman. Find her at katienewman.online.